This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hello and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson and here we talk all things property, a little bit of a slant towards local matters of course, and other than that, looking at nationally what's happening with housing and a bit further afield, sometimes even internationally. A little bit of everything today. We're going to start with the local side of things with regards in particular the building of the Manawatu Tararua Highway. A recent article that I found quite interesting by Paul Mitchell on stuff.co.nz was mentioning that building up Manawatu and Tararua businesses is almost as big a focus as building the long-anticipated replacement for the mothballed Manawatu Gorge Highway. So Procurement Manager Glyn Owen said the highway rebuild was being broken up and contracted out in smaller chunks than usual for a project of this size so small and medium companies could remain competitive with national-scale businesses. That's really good news for, for local industry. The idea was to keep more than six, or more of the $620 million budget in the Manawatu economy and strengthen local industry. Owen said the training and support would be given to companies involved so they're in the best possible position to do the work. There's recently a Palmerston North information session on how to get prepared to make a bid on the highway build and that attracted 55 business people and contractors. Another 33 were at the Danny Verk session held earlier this week. So Craig Turner, who owns CNR Engineering, said it was a massive opportunity for smaller operations like his 10-man firm. It's pretty exciting for us and for the region. By local is something that's been talked about a lot, but we don't always see the fruits of that in huge projects like this. They can offer the work and improve our businesses. That's a win-win for all of us. So great news there for our local business here in the Manawatu. And using the highway build as a training ground for new or partially trained workers also helps alleviate the national shortage of skilled labourers and tradespeople. So a lot of wins within that project. That notwithstanding, though, there's still a lot of people moving into the area with regards uh, the the project there. And that includes uh, or has an effect on the housing market in total. There's really strong demand still. And what's interesting is they're now underway. And a, a similar article by Jimmy Allingham says that the Manawatu Gorge replacement highway takes shape. It had a picture of some of the work being done. So huge earthworks are changing the face of the Ruahine Range's southern peaks and this is going to be home to the much-anticipated four-lane road connecting the eastern and western sides of the lower North Island. So the construction of Tiahu a Turanga Manawatu Tararua Highway began in January and it's scheduled to open in December 2024. Until then, the road will take shape, ready to be covered in tarmac for the 6,000 vehicles a day now using the windy saddle road and travelling between Manawatu and Hawke's Bay. Now, I went to Hawke's Bay over the weekend. Uh, there has been a lot of improvements to the saddle road, which was great. 
uh, mainly evidenced by the fact that neither of my children threw up during that uh, that 13 minutes to drive over. However, it will be fantastic when that's um, done because there's been a number of large uh, trucks, etc., that have struggled somewhat. There's going to be a sweeping curve upwards towards the wind turbines, uh, and that's where construction is happening at the moment. And there's a lot of material that uh, around 300,000 cubic metres of material will be moved just this year, raising to 2.5 million a year in 2022 and 2023. Massive. I, I do enjoy the massive projects of this scale and, and how they manage to do what they do is quite incredible. So motorists from the Ashusen will arrive at the uphill section after crossing two bridges, one over the Manotu River and one over sensitive wetland, and each bridge will be more than 300 metres long. So it's really interesting to see how that's going to go. Uh, 46 hectares of native forest will be planted and pest control measures put in place as well as part of that overall package. So I know we're digressing slightly from housing, but it's just interesting to know that uh, this will have certainly effects on house prices uh, within the likes of Woodville, for example, which as it is have been trending upwards but will continue to do so. Another article here from just late February. First home buyers face the squeeze as investors swoop in Palmerston North. So they give the example of a Palmerston North woman who lost count of how many open homes she attended before she had an offer to buy a house accepted. This is fairly typical of what we are seeing in the market at the moment. Sarah Westcott's search for a house in the city began in October and before having an offer accepted on a Cloverleaf three-bedroom house in February, she had made eight unsuccessful offers and settlement day is in April. She and the other buyers are facing soaring prices that set new records every month, as I talk about on the show here. Few homes on the market and, as revealed by new figures from property data and analytics company CoreLogic, more sales are being made to investors, or at least they were late last year. With interest rates at historically low levels, those with equity in homes are using that to buy more property, leaving people such as Westcott faced in facing increasing competition as they try to gain a foothold on the housing ladder. She says she probably lost count of how many open homes she went to. Every Sunday she would visit at least four or five, along with scores of others. One weekend she attended nine. She had a rule for her son, James Cook, nine, and Emma Cook, 12. No exclamations of, I love this place, as there was no point in getting attached. As she missed out on more properties, Westcott 37 thought about looking beyond Palmer's North to places such as Ashurst, Bulls, Rongatia and Fielding. She felt that she was being priced out of Palmy and a lot of people in the same situation. So with so many buyers interested in properties, some were making over-the-odds offers that were hard to compete against, sometimes without considerations. One house, Westcott made an offer on, had 25 other offers. And meanwhile, the number of houses in the 400 to 500,000 range had continued to dwindle and houses in the first home bracket were selling $100,000 above the asking price. It's pretty an emotional roller coaster, really, for folks buying their first home. She says that sometimes I was very close, sometimes I thought I was going to be in the ballpark and something outrageous would come along. So Westcott, a single mother who works as a resource management planner, said her offers included a letter about herself saying what she loved about the respective houses. The CoreLogic figures show the battle Westcott and others in her situation face. 
In January, 34% of sales went to multiple property owners, up from 29% in 2020 and 22% in 2018. To just 64 homes sold in Palmerston North in January, which is the lowest number since 62 sold in January 2011 during a flat period in the property market. In January 2020, 82 houses sold, 73 in 2019 and 101 in 2018. So the numbers selling are really dropping off. Owner-occupiers moving house account for one quarter of sales. And that's often due to a lack of listings. These owner-occupiers simply can't find their next home. And of course, with term deposit rates low and mortgage rates low too, it's understandable that people will be looking for higher returns elsewhere. And I indeed suspect that some of these investors will have been buying on the expectation of further capital gains, which in the process actually feeds the capital gains. You would have heard me on this show in past times say that the property market here in Manawatu and Wanganui will continue to move up nicely for the next few years, despite what may happen in terms of the national situation. The average values in Palmerston North were up by 23% over the past year, and suburbs such as Westbrook and Highbury had experienced a 25% rise on median values. Of course, the flip side to that is declining affordability, and the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand figures show the median sales price in January was $655,000, another record high. Just nine of the 64 sales in January were from properties under 500000 and the median listing price was five seventy-five. So the median sales price was $80,000 above listing price. Incredible. And in the wider area, looking at Horafanua, there's an article here also in Stuff by Rachel Moore saying, Desperation driving up Levin property prices, says agent. So house hunters desperate for a piece of Horafanua's real estate are facing price hikes of up to 23% as new figures put the average cost of a home at 530 in that region. So Horafanua was once a pay- place to buy a cheap home and get your foot on the property ladder, but recent data from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand shows that median house price continues to rise. The median rent in Horafanua has risen to 440 in January, up 13% on the same month last year, uh, the rent- Trade Me Rental Price Index said. Harcourt's real estate consultant Donna Everton said she was seeing a desperation in people trying to buy property, which drove prices up. She would sell a house at the first open home with six or seven offers to choose from. Recently, a two-bedroom home sold in Levin for 550000 and has had people putting offers on property without viewing it first. So, that, so the price increases um, in the regions very noticeable indeed as they continue on their upward trends. Other areas uh, like uh, Foxton, Shannon and so forth also selling well where properties come on the market. This leads us to a bigger question on newshub.co.nz by Dan Satherley, who talked about the housing crisis. It's harder to save for a house deposit than almost ever before, according to analysts. So it's almost never been a worse time for Kiwis to try and get on the housing ladder, according to new data. Property market analyst CoreLogic's latest report says it now takes an average nine years to save for a deposit on the average property, even longer in places like Auckland, despite above-average incomes, after a year in which house prices inflated more than the average household earns in a year. Things have got worse in the last three to six months, CoreLogic senior property economist Kelvin Davidson told NewsHub. 
We've seen house prices rise pretty sharply right across the country. Affordability pressures have got that bit more intense in the last three to six months. It's not a great story and we are seeing a divide between those who want to get on the property market and those trying to save a deposit and finding it getting further out of reach. So nationwide, the average house now costs six to eight times the average household income. Tauranga at nine, Auckland eight are even worse, while Hamilton, Dunedin and Wellington are close to the nationwide figure. Not quite sure where Palmas North um, and Wanganui is at the moment, um, but certainly it's it's a big ask indeed. That article goes on to talk about uh, the prices mainly around Auckland that have gone up significantly. And even, they do go on to say it's not just a city problem though, they, they note that affordability in the vast majority of provincial areas is at a record low. And that uh, includes areas around ours like Rangitike, Tararua and Masterton. There was a little bit of advice within this article from Milford Asset Management's Francis Sweetman who says the cost of servicing a mortgage hasn't changed in the last 10 years because interest rates have come down. If uh, I had any advice for anyone, she says, I'd get KiwiSaver as early as you can and let it compound those returns. So if you have children, uh, consider setting something up, regular payments, because that will compound. And and, uh, then as they enter their working lives, that's giving them a bit of a head start. So the Reserve Bank's low interest rate policy, she says, which is employed to keep the economy ticking over during the pandemic, has been a huge driver of price inflation. But Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr has rejected this criticism, saying he's just a bit player in the housing market. And he had a warning from investors who believe the housing market can't fail. He says when interest rates are low, asset prices tend to get inflated, and Kiwis, their favourite asset, is the house. It's been investors primarily getting in and getting carried away, he told the AM show. Yes, we are concerned, and you saw us move very recently when you saw us increase the loan-to-value restrictions, especially for investors. But we're saying, look, folks, there's no free lunch. There's no one-way bet when it comes to investment. When prices are so far stretched beyond the earnings of the household, that is a sign you've gone too far. There's just uh, some words of warning there from the Reserve Bank, I guess you could say, in general national terms. So how bad really is the housing affordability? It's at its worst point in at least 17 years. And it's quite a, there's another article here on uh, stuff that talked about that and they quote uh, Kelvin Davidson on that one saying, to get the true picture of housing affordability you have to look at the price to income ratio and based on the historical data we have, houses are as unaffordable as they've been for any time in the last 17 years. So not, not ideal there. And uh, we'll take a little break now. We'll have a little bit of music from uh, Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, and then we'll come back. We'll change subject away from how things are so expensive onto some other general news. This is Ed Sheeran, Shape of You. The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends sat at the table doing shots, tripping fast, and then we talk slow. And 
Come over and start up a conversation with just me And trust me, I'll give it a chance Now take my hand, stop it, and the man on the jukebox And then we start to dance And now I'm singing like, girl, you know I want your love Your love was handmade for somebody like me Come on now, follow my lead I may be crazy, don't mind me Say, boy, let's not talk too much Grab on my waist and put that body on me Come on now, follow my lead Come, come on now, follow my lead Property Matters here on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irarangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, great having your company. Before the break, we were talking about uh, the market and how crazy it is, how difficult it is. We're going to move on now. 
I just want to refer back to episode 112 where we answered the question, can you make offers on more than one property at once? Because this is something that came up in this really busy market we've got where you may miss out on a property because you've got an offer on another one that you're waiting to hear from. Now, you can go back and refer to that and the the short uh, answer is you shouldn't play offers on more than one property at once unless you're prepared to own more than one. So I'm following up with another question that we've got this week, which comes in a very busy market, which is, do we really need a building report for every house? So this has been a question that's been asked in this article that was on stuff. It says, my husband and I are first home buyers. We've missed out on three properties so far. Getting all these building inspection reports is proving to be expensive, and it's delaying how quickly we can get our offer in. Is getting a building report actually worth it? And the answer here in this article by Belinda Moffat says that buying a home is a massive purchase and skipping a building report can turn out to be an expensive mistake. Just think of a car, uh, you know, if you buy a car without having it checked out, you don't, you know, you don't know what you're up for. So when buying a property, it's important to think about the long-term costs and obligations that come with buying it. So the real estate market is pressured right now and competitions for homes is high. The pace of the market is driving a sense of FOMO or the fear of missing out amongst some buyers. In fact, Bindi Norwell recently said in the monthly report, she's the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, that that this fear of missing out is actually a big driver. While missing out on a house can be hugely disappointing, it's essential not to cut corners when it comes to doing your research on a home. A property inspection report, sometimes called a building report, should be right up there on your list of must-haves when it comes to doing your due diligence. Real estate authority research shows that only 46% of buyers get a property inspection report from an accredited inspector, and in my opinion, this is too low and inherently risky. Real estate authority recommends that buyers use a qualified inspector who belongs to a professional body and has professional indemnity insurance, understands the strict legal requirements of their role and meets the New Zealand Property Inspection Standard NZS 4306 2005. Property inspector should identify significant defects, future or urgent maintenance issues and problems caused by gradual deterioration. The inspector should look for structural problems, any evidence that it's a leaky building, issues caused by deferred maintenance such as weatherboards rotting due to peeling paint, and areas where there is damp or mould. The whole property should be checked including fences, retaining walls, any garages or sheds and they should collate their findings in a detailed report. That begs the question, again, do you need it? Well, if you skip a property inspection report or you buy a home based on the opinion of someone who is unqualified or uninsured, like a handyman uncle or tradie friend, you could end up owning some expensive problems. How would you feel if you bought the house and six months later you uncovered it needs a new roof, rewiring or $30,000 worth of weather tightness repair work? If you're not in a position to cover the cost, the financial impacts can be significant and long-lasting. The seller and the real estate agent have an obligation to disclose known issues and problems with the property, but as a home buyer, it's still important that you do your own independent research. Bearing in mind that if you're buying privately through a private sale, safeguards don't apply. In this article, she says, I encourage you to arm yourself with all the information you need to make a home buying decision with confidence. This this means getting a property inspection report, a LIM, which is a land information memorandum. And just for those folks in Palmerston North, there's a, a report here 
called the RPI, Residential Property Information Inquiry, which is like a limb, but it's only relating to a residential property. So if you're buying a residential property, those are better, they're quicker and more specific. She also suggests you get advice from your lawyer and financial advisor before you make an offer. In fact, there's a really good step-by-step guide available on settled.govt.nz. I was looking at it the other day, a very good uh, guide around what to do to be safe. Settled.govt.nz. So if the property inspector report uncovers an issue with the place before you've made an offer, you can factor that into the price you've put forward, leaving room in your budget to do the necessary repairs or you might decide to walk away. What I would tend to do is include a property inspection condition in the offer. So if a defect is found, you may be able to use the report to negotiate with the seller over price and repairs. Whether you're submitting a conditional or unconditional offer on a property, she strongly recommends that you always speak to a lawyer before you sign a sale and purchase agreement. If a real estate agent offers you a property inspection report on behalf of the person selling the house, it's probably best to treat this as a starting point rather than a definitive guide to a property's faults in in the writer's opinion. Paying for your own report means you know the credentials of the person who prepared it, you can be sure the report is impartial, and if anything goes wrong, you can feel confident knowing the inspector's contract is with you, not the seller, which is actually a very good point. This means you're going to be more likely to be able to seek redress. So if you're looking to buy, it's a good idea to get in touch with a local inspector as soon as you start your house hunting. Ask friends and family for their recommendations and request a sample report from any inspector you contact to get an idea of what kind of information they provide. Now the inference around this article is around should you really be dropping as many conditions out of an offer as possible to make it as appealing as possible. And for a seller, if there was less clauses less chances of something going wrong, that could make an offer more appealing. But the advice that we've had from the comments today are make sure you get a building inspection report done. I think it's quite reasonable for us to ask for one to be done. And if your offer is good and up at the top of the range, only owners with something to hide would be concerned about that. So that's the end of the show this week. This has been Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company and look forward to catching up with you in a week's time here on Property Matters. And this can be found where all good blog posts are found and where all good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up next week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.